0: Good morning, church, and it's good to be with you this morning. Add my word of welcome also. Have you recently felt that you just don't have what it takes? Kind of been running on empty amidst all that's going on. It could be, uh, you know, some might say, no, I'm, I'm quite capable. I have no troubles at all with all that's going on. In that case, you can just turn off the internet, you can go, you get credit for this sermon in 12.5 seconds. I want to I speak to the honest ones, the ones who are willing to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this right now. It could be the stress of homeschooling for parents who have never had to do that for, before or of having to give haircuts to little Johnny's hair that's so long and giving him a bad haircut. Or it could be the elderly who are having to learn this technology just to say hi to a neighbor. And it could be that you showed up in a Zoom meeting today when you should have been in a Google Hangout yesterday. All this technology that's thrown at you. Or it could be the student having to do all these online classes where the teachers have made it way too hard. Or the bad haircut that mom and dad gave you. Or it could be the extrovert who's saying, I can't stand being cooped up. I have to be out there with other people. Or me, I'm supposed to preach and I'm feeling empty myself. Lord, I don't get what you're doing now. If you can relate this passage for us, is for us this morning. This forgotten holiday in Acts 2, what it means for us in our lives here in 2020, that God's truth is eternal. And we as a church, those scattered about, we're going to get to go back to our roots, to where the church started, where they went from empty to overflowing. So Luke writes here in Acts 2, God speaks. Of Christ through His Holy Spirit. Now, I encourage you, there's an outline on the website if you want to grab that. But if not, please keep your Bibles open. Follow along with me. Keep them open even after we read this because we'll be working our way through Acts chapter 2. So, Luke writes, God speaks, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. With new wine. Then Peter begins his sermon in verse 21. He comes to this point where he gives them this message And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And after his sermon, the reaction is this When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And the chapter concludes by saying, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we come hearing your word And being empty in many ways, desiring to be filled, would you fill us to overflowing? We come seeking not because we achieve, but we need to receive your word, your blessing this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the text, our first point here in verse 1 is about being ready. In verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. With Luke, when he says all, he doesn't necessarily mean all people, you know, completely every single one. For him, all means many or most. And more specifically, it's the 120 people who were there in Acts 1, who had been gathered together, who had been told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They hadn't been given a whole lot of detail. Just be dependent. And keep on keeping on. Be ready. So already we have our first application. How many times. Is it that God puts you. In some circumstance. Without all the details. Huh, maybe it's just about all of the time. Where. Where. That's the challenge, the excitement, the dependence of living our lives in Christ, being ready. In this case, the 120 were gathered in a situation quite unlike what we have today with the coronavirus. And that's okay because we get illustrations that fit That we apply to our lives today with the coronavirus. But there's times where we say, I want to hear about something else that's not just like today. So this is a bit different. These 120 disciples together in this place. And the Greek word is basically that they were in a house. And this house was a large house, not a temple. But big enough for a large gathering of people. Why were they there? This was the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost was one of three great festivals for the Jews that took place in Jerusalem. First, there was the Passover. And then following Passover, the next big one, was this one, Pentecost. And then later would be the Feast of Tabernacles. So this Pentecost festival was very highly attended Nations, peoples from uh, uh, all over came, as many people as had been there at Passover, a huge holiday that would come 50 days after the first Sabbath, after the Passover. And it came from Leviticus 23, which says this, You shall count off 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your dwellings as a wave offering, each made from two tents and ephah of fine flour, baked with yeast as the firstfruits to the Lord. That reference to first fruits, Pastor Adam told us about that in his sermon last week on Easter, where there was the presentation of the first fruits. And it was saying, Lord, you have been good to offer us this, and we are trusting you with gratitude of a hopeful guarantee that there will be more that we will bring in with the harvest. But there was also the mention of two loaves of bread the priest would hold up the two loaves of bread, basically signifying the Jews and the Gentiles. And we heard the word later in the passage that referred to a proselyte. A proselyte was a Jew, I mean, I'm sorry, a Gentile who had converted to Judaism. A Gentile who effectively becomes like a Jew. And this was saying, there is the hope that these two loaves, that they would eventually become one people under God. And that hope for the harvest, not just of the crop, but of the peoples, that day had come with Pentecost. The festival had gone on for 1,500 years since Leviticus. Over and over again, they're told and they see this festival and they experience it. They get the message over and over again. God is giving it to them. Kind of like a teenager, 1,500 times. The teenager has to tell their parents until uh, his or her parents get it right. So here for the festival, they're, they're present. But also, why were they here? Another reason. Back in Acts 1, they had been told, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God kept his promise. Power was going to come upon these people. And he keeps his promises to us today. His promise had an immediate impact in that day. And it was through, boom, in in verse 2. There was a sound that struck fear. If you've ever experienced a tornado, and the the noise, the locomotive that's outside, you hear that loud noise, it's right next to you. The sound they experience is similar to that, maybe even bigger. The Spirit comes on this day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes, and it is sudden, and it is scary, and it is supernatural, but it is self-controlled. Because the Spirit is a person, not an it. He comes with a purpose. Mysterious, but more so missional. Acts has been called the gospel of the Holy Spirit. He is personal and he is working God's purposes. And there was something else I didn't mish- mention about this forgotten holiday. was that it coincided with the giving of the law, basically the same day in the Hebrew calendar, the giving of the law many years back in the Old Testament at Sinai. There we had God's word, Yahweh's word, and fire, a burning bush or the pillar of fire that guided the israelites do not go unless the spirit leads or unless the fire leads them so here the presence of fire at the pentecost shows the presence of god to these disciples judgment purity illumination all symbolized by this fire the miracles like at Sinai, like at Pentecost, they authenticated God's word. They are miracles. They didn't happen all the time or they would be called usual these were These stood out. They were signs. The root word of the word significant sign. These were significant signs pointing to something important. The author In both cases, is the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire rest upon the disciples. Either the 11 apostles or the 120 disciples who are there, we're not sure. But the church was birthed out of this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so often we see this pattern in scripture where there's event and then word. Or some sort of act and then explanation. Take the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus does this miracle, this event. Feeds 5,000 but then he explains to them, I am the bread of life. Or or, uh, the raising of Lazarus. Jesus does this miracle, this event, this action to raise Lazarus. But then there is the word that follows saying that he is the life. So here we have the event, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this noise, this wind. What is the explanation? We're getting warmer because that is going to come. The big idea here going on is that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church to point his people to his word, that we Brothers and sisters need to embrace, love, cherish, utilize God's word. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. So we move now to that explanation, action and then explanation, God speaking through the Holy Spirit. There were specific foreign languages in verse four, these weren't unintelligible ramblings. These were specific languages. The Holy Spirit wasn't meant to just be mystical, but missional, to prepare his people for a purpose. And realize that many people, when they hear of tongues, as we're hearing of here, we we think of the Pentecostal tongues. But we're going to be faithful to this text and focus on Acts 2. Very brief diversion just to say this. The tongues here are clearly foreign languages. Probably a different topic than in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul addresses tongues. Here, the Spirit is present for evangelism. There's, there's one step in the sense that the people hear the proclamation in their own language One step. They understand it. Whereas in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is saying there's basically two steps. Don't do this speaking in tongues unless you have someone there to interpret. So there's two steps to it. This is is different, at least, than that. This is not private. There was the proclamation of the gospel. There was the equipping for mission of these disciples there was salvation there were transformed lives put yourself there in this context here you come to the festival and you hear your own language there was no reason for that in the sense that greek and aramaic spoken in the market and in the in the festival those were essentially universal languages That most everyone could hear and understand and converse with. So there was no need for something further. But yet, you hear your own language. They're speaking my language, my dialect, whether it's Coptic or Arabic or some other dialect that fits you personally. I can remember years back being in Africa in in Uganda and in eastern africa swahili is kind of a, a universal language so that you could greet someone with a, a jambo something like that but when we would go around in the morning in this remote village we would seek to to utilize just to some extent at least lugandan their local language dialect wasuziotia we would say to the the villagers when we'd see them in the morning and their faces would light up What are these Americans doing? They're speaking our language. And it was special to them and smiles when we would greet them. It's the same here for these people at Pentecost. They're speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And in verse 6, it says that they were bewildered. They were amazed. Why? Because it's the disciples who were doing this. They were like the Mayberry hillbillies. They were not the erudite, the intellectual, the well learned. They were often mocked for being hillbillies. And here they are speaking the languages that they don't know to the people. This is the Holy Spirit working. In the next verses, mention many nations. And people groups kind of moving from the east, the Parthians, to the west, to Rome. Communities are mentioned where the Jews congregated, showing the gospel's universal scope. There are thousands of miles covered in these couple verses. The Jews in Rome numbered around forty to 60,000 out of about a million people in Rome. London, the city of London, did not reach a million people until the 19th century. So you realize Rome was immense for that period of time. But part of the message is, Rome, you are not the ruler. God is saying, I rule. This is my land. God enabled these people to speak the language of the listener. Symbol becomes substance. Whereas the Holy Spirit, as as the Shekinah glory would come at its rare times in the Old Testament and, and be present, but then leave. Here, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and rests and indwells. The Holy Spirit indwells his people. And there were... There were different lands here present hearing that message. In political terms, we could say here is a true uh, bipartisan message going across all these groups of people. The world preaches so much of, of the importance of inclusivity and diversity. Well, here is the picture of that, the gospel going out to all these people inclusivity where outsiders become insiders. Application for us is that we need to remember in this time where we're out walking around sharing with neighbors across the street, keeping our distance, but having opportunities to share the gospel, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. We don't need to be. We don't need to add our own preferences. And we're going to see how the gospel was offensive here in a minute. But next we go to verse 11. We'll call this the report. In verse 11, the mighty deeds of God are proclaimed. Not our mighty deeds, God's mighty deeds. And often we're ashamed or maybe embarrassed to share the gospel because Maybe I don't I don't have the cool factor to to relate to this person. I'm kind of you know embarrassed, but it's not about my cool factor or your cool factor. It's about God's mighty deeds. Application there is to think of this: to know or to share, sorry, to share God's mighty deeds, we need to know God's mighty deeds. Often we might say, you know, I just, I want to know God. I don't want to know about God. I just, I just want to know God. Well, try that line on your spouse. and See how that goes. Oh, babe, I don't want to know about you. I just want to know you. And then she says, Bill, well, you never ask me stories about back when I was in high school or college, or you don't even care what my favorite meal is. How are you saying you really want to know me? Well, to to know God, we need to know about God. We need to know his mighty deeds. One of my sons and one of the other youth here at Redeemer are on the Hunter Carter 66 books of the Bible in 66 days. Read through all of that. That's quite a challenge. But they're seeking to know the mighty deeds of God. And so often, we maybe push people away by by actually making things too easy. Ah, just come to this Bible study. You don't have to read or prepare or anything like that. And sometimes we realize, "Well, well, maybe it's not really that important. And sometimes we actually need a challenge. A challenge. Our challenge. We need to know God's word, appreciate God's word that the Holy Spirit pushes us to, to get to know God's mighty deeds. And then there's the response in verses 12 and 13. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Brothers and sisters, would someone look at your life, at my life, and say, what does this mean? But here we see the honest questions are great. What does this mean? They asked the disciples. Jeff Myers in his book, Unquestioned Answers, "Unquestioned answers, says sometimes our answers are too simple. We need to let God be God and not the image of who I think he should be. As an example, as Christians, we might feel like we not need to give the reason For the COVID-19 pandemic. And what and why is God doing this? Let's be careful not to give too simple of an answer. There's a difference in why God did this. Versus blessings that we can take and should take amidst it. For example we might be tempted to say that God has caused the pandemic to have us slow down because we're too busy and we're running around all over the place with this event and that event. Well, the slowing down and having more family time, sure, that's a blessing that many are realizing that's that's good and we should do that, but that's not necessarily the reason that God did this. Did the 90-year-old in the retirement community need to slow down? Or the ones in the Sudan refugee camp who can't really be quarantined. are already just having to be right next to each other. This is a what does this mean where we need to be careful. Don't put words in God's mouth. That he didn't say, like a prominent religious leader who said that this is punishment for all the climate change. I don't think that some of my friends in the remote villages in Uganda are doing a whole lot of carbon emissions that they need to be punished because of the climate change. Be careful of putting words in God's mouth. Let God be God. And Jesus pointed to that. Where in John 9, he said, Or the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? They were trying to interpret what had happened in this event. And Jesus says, no. But I do tell you this. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's exactly what Peter does. What does this mean? Let me get to the heart of the matter for you. In verse 21, Peter tells them this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the answer to what this means at Pentecost. It's that message that we need to share when people are worrying fear for their physical lives. The gospel is that, yes, our lives will end. We're at best delaying death and point, folks, to the truth that the Holy Spirit was revealing that day that only Christ saves. And during this time of physical distancing, there are ways that we can uh, help to bridge the social distance and to be creative in the way that we spread the gospel. I was, I was convicted and encouraged. Uh, Donna came home the other day after the food pickup that some of you have taken part in here at at Redeemer the last couple weeks where uh, there's food that's shared from um, Trader Joe's and people can come and get that. And after it was all done, Donna brought home this massive bag of, of bread. So she went out in the neighborhood, keeping physical distance, but giving out loaves of bread to the neighbors. And she came home so excited. I met so many people and we're talking to these and those and so forth. I was like, wow. You, you're, you're out there. You're doing it. So being creative in ways to bridge and to create relationships that will then lead to hopefully meaningful conversations about what really matters. What was the response of the people hearing the truth of the gospel? Verse 13 shows that some began mocking And we need to realize that some will receive, but some will mock. Don't become defeated. Don't become discouraged. Expect some bad responses. The world will not like what the church has to say about marriage. Or about the church itself and the importance of being part of a church. Or that God's word is absolutely true or that there is one way of salvation we can expect to be mocked don't be discouraged but there was another response for some in verse 37 when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do That cut to the heart in the Greek is a powerful word. They were stabbed, they were exposed, they were cut open. Like David, when Nathan tells him, you are the man, they were exposed and they realized, you got me. You got me. And I can remember my own experience at a youth group back when I was young, cut to the heart where the Spirit was speaking to me. So these people here at Pentecost, should they hide? Or cut to the heart, should they hide? God's pretty good with that one. Ask Adam and Eve. Should they hope he forgets? He knows where every molecule in the universe is. Should they try to make it up to him? Uh, do a bunch of good stuff to make up for it. This wasn't just a loaf of bread that they had stolen. uh, Peter points out to him, you killed the Christ, the Son of God. They are repenting and they are believing. And that is the right response. So I want to speak to kind of two groups in closing. You might be there listening Maybe you're amongst a group, some other family members, just kind of, you know, you're the unbeliever. You're the skeptic, maybe. And think of it this way. Hopefully, God's word through his Holy Spirit has pricked you, cut you to the heart this morning to hear that there is only one way to truly be safe and saved eternally. If that's the case, if you've been cut, think of the illustration of a boxing match. If one boxer injures the other and that other one is bleeding, they could try to run and get away in the ring, but all that's going to happen is the first one's going to, in a sense, smell blood and go in and, and take them out. The safest place, ironically, is when that one is cut is to, you'll see it, they'll grab the other boxer and kind of try to tie him up. Now, eventually, the referee's going to make him break, but he ties up the first one to try to recover a bit, because then the first one can't really do much, because he's tied up by the second one. So, that silly illustration, you know, probably won't use that one again, at least it's not a baseball illustration. that. But the point being, the one who is wounded, Christ, who through his spirit has cut you to the heart, cling to him. He is your only place to go for refuge. Cling to Christ. He is the good surgeon who has cut you. He's the only one, only one who can heal that wound. For the believer, I would say this. There is value In hearing God's word and humbly saying, that cut me to the heart. I'm sensitive to hearing you, God, whether I've been a Christian days or many, many years. And I realize that my life needs to continue being repentance and healing and receiving the balm of the gospel. We talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to point people to God's word. He's going to point disciples to his word. Is your heart soft to his word? Do you appreciate it? Do you use it to get to know about God so that you can know God more deeply? Are you going to it to seek to have fellowship with him? Like a garden has to have that tough soil cut, tilled, cut open. Is your heart soft for the Holy Spirit to use his word to open you up to speak into your life? Just as Peter said to Jesus, we say now as well, where else can we go, Christ? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let us pray. Our Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, perfect Trinity, author and perfecter of our salvation, help us all the more to appreciate your word. Holy Spirit, how you use the word in our lives. May we be more and more open to that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.